back with me to Isaiah chapter 58, which we read earlier, and verses 13 to 14 will be our text for this morning. Isaiah 58, verses 13 to 14. Some of you may have heard before this description of Sabbath keeping on the Isle of Lewis, given by the late Reverend Donald MacDonald. I know there's been a lot of Donald MacDonalds, but this one was the minister of Greyfriars Free Church of Scotland in Inverness. And it's a, a description I've heard quoted a few times, most recently by uh, Alistair Begg. But here's what MacDonald says about his experience of growing up on the Isle of Lewis. I shall cherish the memory of it as long as I live. The Sabbath was prepared for on Saturday evening. All the household work was finished earlier than usual. Tomorrow's meals, as far as that was possible, were prepared. And by 10pm, the family gathered and the book was taken. The book, of course, being the Bible. However late with their household work, some might be on other nights... On a Saturday, there would not be one light in 100 to be seen at 12 midnight. Public worship began usually at 12 noon. Evening worship was at 6 p.m. And again, everyone who could go was there. Particularly impressive was the complete silence that prevailed throughout the day. Not a stroke of work was done. There was no noise of cart of, or, of car or cart except those who had to take their cattle to drink. Inside the house, no books were read except the Bible or religious books. All other books were put away on Saturday night. Conversation about worldly things was not allowed. Frequently, relatives and friends who had a long distance to walk to the church came into my parents' home between services and their conversation was always of a religious kind. As a rule, they discussed points made by the preacher in the morning service. This was the way the Lord's Day was observed as I remember it. And perhaps the worst indictment against the mainstream evangelical church in the West today is that the average Christian who might hear uh, the description I've just read, they might respond by saying, oh, that's just old-fashioned legalism. And there is nothing about being a New Testament Christian that would demand that we should be doing half the things they did on the Isle of Lewis 60 or 70 years ago. Well, I'm not suggesting that we have to do all that Donald MacDonald describes, but the reality for most Christians today is that they don't want to do it, and they don't like the idea that they should do it, and they simply don't believe it needs to be done. There's a reason that this particular commandment, the fourth commandment, has been highlighted in our Covenant Renewal document this year. It's there in the second vow that we will take in a few weeks' time. Uh, Amongst other things, it it says we recognise the authority of Christ in the areas of sexuality, identity, marriage, the sanctity of life, and the Sabbath day. And I intend to preach on some of those other subjects in in the weeks ahead as well, but there is a reason that the Sabbath day has been included in that covenant commitment. And it is that since our last covenant renewal as a denomination, which was in 1990, this commandment, arguably more than any other, has been increasingly ignored, misunderstood, misapplied by even the professing church of Christ. 
In the last 30 years or so, some preachers and churches have tried to suggest that the fourth commandment is in some sort of category all of its own. That principles of the fourth commandment still apply, even if the original uh, specifics of it do not. That, and, and Christians and preachers and churches will do all kinds of things, twist and turn the relevant texts of scripture in all kinds of ways when it comes to their interpretation of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And we should ask ourselves why that is, particularly in the last 30 years, and why there is relatively little or no evidence of such an approach being taken to the Sabbath commandment for hundreds of years before that. And I would suggest to you that the simple reason for it is, friends, that the Christian church in the West has been far more influenced in these times by the culture around us and its idolization of self and self-indulgence than it has been by biblical, historically sound interpretations of the fourth commandment. One preacher has said that our attitude to the Sabbath is like a barometer of our hearts, spiritually speaking. That our interest in the Sabbath day or our lack of it tells us an awful lot about our general concern for the things of God. And indeed, that's essentially what Isaiah says here. If you look at Isaiah 58, verse 13, look at the third line of the verse. He says, if you call the Sabbath a delight. (coughs) And then he says in the first line of verse 14, then, and there's several ifs and then several thens. If you call the Sabbath a delight, then, verse 14, you shall take delight in the Lord. So we might say to love the Lord's day is to love the Lord whose day it is. To love the Lord's day is to love the Lord whose day it is. And likewise, a low regard for this day, a lack of care regarding this day indicates a lack of care for the Lord who has given this day to us and commanded us to keep it holy. The point of covenant renewal, as I'll be explaining in the weeks ahead, is not to commit ourselves, <coughs> excuse me, it's not to commit ourselves to anything new. It's not that we have discovered new information about God or salvation, <clears throat> and we need to now change previous commitments that we have made as members of this church. Rather, it's about renewing our existing commitments. God's commandment regarding the Sabbath hasn't changed, friends. It's the attitude of people both outside and inside the church that has changed regarding this commandment. And in the face of that change, when we come to sign our names to the 2022 covenant commitment, as we plan to do in a few weeks, we are saying that we won't just go with the crowd or make excuses that others have been making regarding this commandment, Rather, we commit ourselves afresh to what God has commanded us. Three simple points arising from the uh, passage today. First of all, the respect required for the Sabbath day. The respect required for the Sabbath day. In Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 5, what Isaiah is doing is he is describing what you might call empty religion. Uh, people are asking Isaiah, why is God not pleased with the way that we're living our lives? And the answer simply is because you're living your lives in a a self-indulgent way. 
And people are saying here to Isaiah in these first five verses, but we hold fasts and we've begun all kinds of religious traditions. Uh, we have more, more fast days and religious days than ever. And Isaiah says, well, those fast days, those religious days, for one thing, God hasn't commanded you to keep them. And for another thing, uh, you're keeping them for the wrong reasons and for the wrong motives. And whilst you're holding to these so-called fast days, he says, there is corruption in your society. And he points to a lack of uh, care for the poor or for widows. Uh, general corruption in society. This is bad religion, Isaiah says. It gives God no pleasure that you call certain days holy and yet live your lives in such unholy ways. But then in verses 6 to 12, God, through Isaiah, describes what he does want to see from his people. Justice in society. A concern for each other's well-being. Self-sacrificial love for God and neighbor. That's what Isaiah describes in verses 6 to 12. And then the chapter concludes with this exhortation for God's people to take special care and delight in the Sabbath In the weekly Sabbath day. Notice how verse 13 begins. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath. Now what does that mean if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath? Well remember what happened when Moses saw the the burning bush on Mount Sinai. Exodus 3 verse 5. And God warned Moses that he should take off his sandals and watch his step essentially. Because he was in This was holy ground. This was a sacred moment. And the same thing happened then when Moses had led the Israelites back to that same place, to the foot of Mount Sinai. There was smoke. There was thunder. The sound of a trumpet. Kinds of things we're seeing in the book of Revelation. And Moses has to warn the people not to set foot on the mountain. Again, this is a holy moment. This is holy ground. Watch your step, Moses says. Treat this time with respect. And now God through Isaiah is saying that the same principle applies to the Sabbath day. Be careful how you treat it. Watch your step. Some of you maybe have had the opportunity to walk around uh, some beautiful estate. Uh, In the summer, Hannah and I got to go to a wedding uh, held in a a beautiful set of gardens in County Antrim. And uh, and maybe you've done the same. You've been to various uh, beautiful botanic gardens And you can enjoy it. You can enjoy the scenery. You can enjoy the smell of the flowers. You can enjoy studying the nature. But maybe you've also seen signs here and there saying, keep off the grass. You're invited to come and enjoy the place, but you're also told to treat it with care and respect. And that's what God is saying to his friends about the Sabbath. It's it's like a beautiful garden that we get to go into and get away from things and And come and rest and enjoy. But also it's to be treated with respect. And thousands of years after the fourth commandment had first been given. Isaiah says here it still applies. We are still to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Rather than piling on all kinds of empty religious traditions. And yet perhaps more than as I've said any other commandment among Christians today. The Sabbath is not receiving reverence. Some Christians will say Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. 
and they believe he's brought it to an end. As long as we get some rest during the week, some Christians suggest we can, quote, Sabbath however and whenever we like. I remember seeing a photo on social media a few years ago posted by a church leader and he was holding a cup of coffee and and sitting in a park somewhere on a Tuesday morning and the caption of his picture simply said Sabbath. Now is that right? Is a cup of coffee by yourself in a park on a Tuesday morning just as much Sabbath as worshipping with God's people on the Lord's day? Other Christians will say we don't need to think about Sabbath anymore because it was actually all part of the Old Testament law and that law doesn't apply anymore. Yes, it was in the Ten Commandments, but it was also in all those, it was in amongst all those hundreds of other laws that Moses then gave to the Israelites, what we call the civil and ceremonial laws. And those laws don't apply anymore. Those laws are gone. There's a few things we can say in response to that. Firstly, the Sabbath did not come into existence at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and with the laws that came after the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath came into existence at the very beginning, the creation week. Genesis 2 verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy from the very beginning. Uh, And the reason we know that he, he wasn't just blessing it and making it holy, but that it was a Sabbath day, that it was the Sabbath day, Is because, well, for one thing, when you read about the manna falling in the desert, Exodus chapter 16, before the Ten Commandments were given, the Israelites were given specific instructions not to collect manna on the Sabbath day. And so the Sabbath day was a creation ordinance, friends. Adam and Eve, even in the Garden of Eden, before their fall into sin, would have had a weekly Sabbath day. So it's not... Uh, a creation of the Mosaic law. It goes right back to the beginning. Secondly, and this whole question of the Sabbath being an Old Testament law that no longer applies, even when God gave the Sabbath commandment at Mount Sinai, it is clearly part of the Ten Commandments rather than, uh, uh, at least originally, the law of Moses. In Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel, God himself spoke those commandments. The the 603 other laws that came after the Ten Commandments, they were given to Moses who then repeated them to the Israelites. And part of the significance of that, friends, is that the Ten Commandments spoken by God apply to all people in all times and all places, unlike those laws that came afterwards. And so all Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath, are in a category all of their own. But you see, some people point out that Old Testament law goes on to say that in Moses' day, you couldn't even light a fire on the Sabbath. That if you broke the Sabbath, you were stoned to death. And sure, we don't believe that anymore. Uh, We're getting to that time of year when you're all going to go home on Sabbath afternoon and be very glad to light a fire. And we don't believe that anybody should be stoned to death for breaking the Sabbath. And so our beliefs about the Sabbath have changed. And so do we really need to hold to it in the way first described? Well, it's true that uh, Sabbath breaking carried the penalty of stoning to death in the original Mosaic law. 
you know what else carried that punishment? Dishonouring your parents. Committing adultery. It was the same punishment for all those commandments, friends. And we still believe that Christians shouldn't commit adultery or that anybody, nobody should commit adultery. We still believe that children should obey their parents even though we don't believe they should be stoned to death if they don't. So why is it any different with the Sabbath commandment? We live in the gospel age. Yes, Jesus Christ has fulfilled the demands of the civil and ceremonial laws. We don't believe in those death penalties for those sins anymore because Jesus Christ has taken the the death penalty upon himself. But that does not mean that there are still commandments that are to be obeyed. Another objection some Christians have against Sabbath observance is they, and this is a very lazy argument in many ways, but they say that it's legalistic. Some of our younger members will particularly perhaps have heard this if they've tried to explain the reasons for uh, observing the Sabbath. People will say, you're being legalistic. You're, you're missing the point of the gospel if you start saying that there are things Christians have to do to please God. We don't earn our salvation by good works. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. And to that last statement we say yes and amen. But it is not legalistic, friends, to to keep the commandments of God and to think through how we're going to keep the commandments of God and to take practical steps to help us keep the commandments of God out of love and thankfulness and obedience to Jesus Christ. New Testament says you are not your own. You were bought with a price. We once were slaves to sin. We are now slaves to Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, John 15, 14, uh, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. We're not trying to earn the love of God by keeping the Sabbath. We're expressing our thanks and love to God that he has given us our salvation when we keep the Sabbath. Or put it this way, is it legalistic, whatever that word might mean in the minds of some, is it legalistic of a spouse to decide not to visit or to look at certain images, let's say, on the internet or to visit certain places because they want to keep the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery? No, there are practical, uh, logical steps and actions that Uh, All of us can take, not just those who are married, because Jesus says that it's possible to commit adultery in our hearts. And so there are steps that all of us should be taking to make sure that we keep that commandment. Is it legalistic of some of you to drive your elderly relatives to church or to a hospital appointment to include them in special uh, occasions? Are you doing those things to earn God's love, thinking, well, as long as I honor my parents, God will love me? No, no. You're doing it because you love your relatives and you love your saviour and your saviour's commandment is honour your father and your mother. And similarly, friends, we're not being legalistic to think out practically what it means to remember the Lord's day, the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. God's commands require us to consider what steps we will take to keep the commandments. Now, it might be a point of conversation or discussion as to what that looks like. It might be different to some degree, uh, from household to household, from person to person. 
Uh, you, can, you could perhaps talk about those things afterwards amongst yourselves, what you do to, in your own households to help each other to, to keep the Lord's day. But nonetheless, the principle remains that there are, are steps we should take to help ourselves to keep the Sabbath day, the reverence and respect to be given to the Sabbath day. Secondly, and more briefly, the, the delight to be taken in the Sabbath day, the delight to be taken in the Sabbath day. <clears throat> Verse 13 might sound at first like it's contradicting itself. If you look at what Isaiah 58, 13 says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honourable, if you honour it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then, he says in verse 14, you shall take delight in the Lord. Now, we might read those words and think, well, how are we supposed to call the Sabbath a delight by not doing the things that we might naturally want to do? Friends, this is what true discipleship is really all about. It's denying yourself and obeying God in faith, believing that what he commands will give us greater delight than what we might naturally go after ourselves. The reason that we think verse 13 doesn't make sense is because we are saturated in a culture which believes that purposefully denying yourself pleasure of any kind is a bad thing. A culture which preaches to us day after day that our time is best spent on ourselves and that we are missing out if we are not right up to the minute with what the world is celebrating and looking at and thinking about. And that's why our culture has crammed Sundays full of all the things they do the rest of the week. Shopping, sport, work, social media, big TV shows, socialising, whatever it might be. Things that in and of themselves you might not say are sinful, but things that have taken the place of rest and worship. And yet what's the result of people's days and weeks being crammed full of all the noise and busyness of the world? People are miserable and they're no happier. And there's this sneaking suspicion, particularly now in a time when living standards are dropping and prices are rising, that all our chasing after these things has gotten us nowhere and left people empty. And yet people can't stop. They are addicted to distraction and busyness and stuff. And you see, friends, coming to worship on a Sabbath morning and evening is a statement of faith that God can delight us more than a seat by the fireside or a day of binge-watching TV or a meal in a restaurant, whatever it might be. That keeping the Sabbath day free from unnecessary travel or unnecessary busy work is a statement that God can delight us more than finishing a job Or concerning ourselves with matters that can wait one more day. And yes, the Sabbath is a day of rest, but it's not a day for idleness. We rest from one type of activity, our work, so that we can focus on a different type of activity, namely worship. Here's what our shorter catechism says, question 60. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified, that is to be kept special? Answer, the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day 
even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. And again, as I said earlier, uh, with a quote from uh, Donald MacDonald, it is a sad indictment of our generally low levels of spirituality in our generation, that most Christians are more likely to be asking, how much of the day do I really need to spend on these things? How soon can we get this religious stuff over so that I can enjoy my day? It's not your day. It's the Lord's day. And Christians should be ashamed and even we have to search our own hearts and confess our own faults and feelings in this area when we consider at times how much we have let worldly thinking and worldly activity dictate how we use this first day of the week. I've lost count, for example, of the number of Christians uh, I've heard mention how they have booked flights on the Lord's Day for holiday. Why would you do that? Why would you choose to spend what should be a day of rest and worship doing what can be one of the most stressful activities possible? Waking up at silly o'clock to get to the airport, checking and double-checking and triple-checking luggage, standing in sweaty airport queues, catching your flight, finding the bus, finding the place, dumping the stuff. We haven't given a thought to the Lord whose day it is and the far greater purpose and contentment we can find in him than we will ever find in the best holiday of our lives. And the answer most of the time is that it's, if it's not necessary travel, then it's to save a tenor ahead on flights that would be more expensive on a Saturday or a Monday. Well, let me just go ahead and offend you even more than I already have in the last few seconds. If you can afford the holiday in the first place, you can, ex- you can afford to spend the extra 20 or 30 quid to not break the fourth commandment in the process. It's not legalism. It's the loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Thought and care is required as much for Sabbath keeping as it is for anything else in life. No matter what sort of day uh, you're keeping or observing or preparing for. It needs to be thought through. It's not just going to happen. We're not just going to stumble into Sabbath keeping. And so we need to think as well about what notifications and apps we have access to in the Lord's Day. Do we really need the phone to be buzzing with emails and random texts and chat groups and social media? We need to think about what we do with our children on the Lord's Day. Those of us with young children in the house, we need to think about what we're going to think about on the Lord's Day. And this is another objection that some have. You know, it's a long day for the kids. The kids don't really like it, you know, not having their shoes or their tablet or their devices or not seeing their mates. Kids find it tough, the Sabbath keeping. Dare say they find not coveting tough as well. Dare say they find honouring their father and mother pretty tough going as well because they're sinners. Like you and I are sinners as well. Friends, we're to train up our children in these things. We're to take thought and care to think, well, how can we make it a day of blessing for our children, even if it is a day without certain other things that they might enjoy the rest of the week? 
And this is where faith comes into it. We believe that God's ways are best. That the way of obedience is the way of blessing. That what God commands for us is not a misery. It's for our good. And by God's grace, friends, it is possible to train our children and to train ourselves, adults as well, to take greater delight in Jesus Christ, the Lord whose day it is. More delight in him than we take in ourselves or sport or entertainment or anything else. The reverence to be given to the Lord's day, the delight that can be taken in the Lord's day. And and thirdly and finally, the promises attached to the Lord's day or the Sabbath day. Verse 13 gives the ifs, the things we should do to keep this command. Verse 14 then gives the thens, the outcomes. If you do this, then the outcome will be that. Uh, And so it gives us the promises and blessings. Notice the first promise. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. Again, to take delight in the Lord's day is to take delight in the Lord whose day it is. Today that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He declared himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. And by the way, there wouldn't have been much point declaring himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath if he was about to abolish the Sabbath. You might point that out to some of our brothers and sisters who are less concerned with this commandment. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, Something happened that changed the time that we observe this day. And that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Such a significant event was that. That the day of Sabbath changed from the Saturday to the Sunday. John says in Revelation 1 verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And so to take delight in the Sabbath is to take delight in the Lord whose day the Sabbath is. And by doing so, friends, we're starting our week by saying, we're starting our week by saying the one who is risen, the one who is reigning, the one who sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins, he is the one in whom I find greatest delight. Notice the second promise attached to the Sabbath, verse 14. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. The language there of riding on the heights appears several times in the Old Testament. It usually has the sense of gaining victory by God's strength. Uh, David uses that language in Psalm 18. So friends, delight in the Sabbath. What it's saying here is that delighting in the Sabbath will, will give us a spiritual strength that will help to fortify us spiritually for the battles that lie ahead the rest of the week. We're here this morning. I trust glad to be here, glad to be in the place of worship away from all the stress and busyness of the week that's waiting for us tomorrow morning. But we'll be better equipped to deal with that stress and busyness if we have nourished our souls today with Christ and with the truth of his word. And this is not just spiritual, this is practical wisdom as well. You just have to laugh sometimes when our foolish world suddenly catches up with the Bible. Uh, In May last year, as the worst of the lockdown restrictions began to to fall away, uh, the Guardian newspaper reported that some people were beginning to schedule regular, quote, personal lockdown days, describing them as days to switch off from technology and work and to have a rest with the family. Well, if only somebody had thought to tell us to take a day once a week uh, to get a rest from our work, long before COVID. If only the very rhythms of nature and the human capacity for work and rest were literally built into this universe. 
That's exactly how God has designed us, friends. Not quite for a weekly lockdown day, but certainly for a weekly day of locking out the busyness of work and worldly concerns. And a lifetime of weekly Sabbath days, week after week of worship with God's people, resting from our work, seeing to the needs of others because the Sabbath is for doing good as well, enjoying fellowship with other Christians. A lifetime of that, friends, will change your life. It'll have an impact. It will strengthen us in ways that we probably don't even realize. Some of you might be familiar with Jordan Peterson. He's kind of a, he's a bit of a celebrity at the minute. He's in the, in the public eye, a, a psychologist from Canada. He takes very conservative views in various things. Uh, some Christians uh, tend to warm to him for that reason. A lot of his views would line up with Christian thinking. I think he needs to be handled with care. I don't think he is a Christian himself from what he says. Um, but nonetheless, he, he, he's involved in conversations with interesting people, thinkers who are, are beginning to mark a bit of a shift in the mindset of our culture at this time. Some of the new atheists, so-called Peterson, has been interacting with them and and they recognize in their conversations that there is this longing in our materialistic, <coughs> secular culture for something of more meaning and something of more purpose. And recently in a podcast with Douglas Murray and with a man from the Orthodox Church, Jordan Peterson was saying that when he was younger, he used to scoff at Christians going to church every single Sunday. And he said, you know, they're just a bunch of hypocrites going off to church. And he said, as I got older, I've changed my opinions about that. And he says, at least they're going. At least they're giving an hour a week to think about something beyond the, the trivial passing busyness of this world. And in this podcast, he says, you know, an hour a week, he says, that's 50 hours per year. 3,000 hours in a lifetime. He says, that's not nothing. You spend 3,000 hours in something, he says, that's a third of the way uh, to being an expert in your field. And that's just him assuming that you would only want to go to church once on a Sunday. Point is, friends, even worldly thinkers can see wisdom in people shutting off from this mundane, foolish, anxious world. And fixing their minds upon something more meaningful and long-lasting. And if a seemingly pagan psychologist can see the wisdom in that. How much more should we, as those who have God's word and have God's truth, be devoting ourselves to getting the most out of this day that God has given us? There's a final promise in verse 14. He says, I will feed you. This is if you delight in the Sabbath. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The heritage of Jacob uh, in the Old Testament mindset would be the promised land, the land of Israel, which God had given to the nation. Uh, it, Isaiah was living a couple hundred years before the kingdoms of Israel and Judah would be overthrown by Assyria and Babylon respectively and they would lose their promised land and even when the Jews eventually got it back there was a sense that they weren't what they were before but friends the heritage of Jacob was always more than the promised land the heritage of Jacob friends was life with God himself fellowship with the God who has come to us and provided redemption for our sins. 
And of course, that's only possible for us because of the Lord whose day the Sabbath is, the Lord Jesus Christ. To delight in this day is to delight in Christ and all that he has done, to make him our heritage. And that's why, of course, as I've mentioned already, we keep the first day of the week as the Lord's day, the Sabbath day now. That's the pattern you see as you read through Acts, believers gathering on the first day of the week. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, when you gather on the first day of the week, John says in Revelation 1 verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. This day is Jesus' day. And so what better way to anticipate that eternal fellowship with God than by devoting the first day of every week to worshipping him along with his people in the name of his son. Our world calls this just another day. A day for more of what we can get the rest of the week. Football, sport, trivialities, work, whatever. Instead, friends, may we call the Sabbath a delight. And may we devote ourselves afresh to keeping it with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And maybe in the course of our conversation now or this afternoon, how we do that, that could be what we discuss together. Amen.